So today we're gonna, going to continue our Heroes of Faith uh, series uh, with an unlikely hero. Um, and I don't know if at the end, well, I know definitely at the end, he's, he's, he's not so heroic, but he is a uh, portion of, the, of Scripture that I really think we need to uh, dive into to understand some of the truths of the Lord and also setting the stage for the continuation of our studies. So what's really nice here is as we go through the major characters of, of Scripture, <clears throat> and we're mostly doing it chronologically, by doing that, it's also setting the, uh, the story or the chronology and the plot line, if you will, of the Scripture, which is nice as well. So uh, this uh, character, Saul, King Saul, is not found in the Hebrews of Faith chapter in, um, the Heroes of Faith chapter in the book of Hebrews, I believe. At least, uh, not that Saul, right? <clears throat> but a, a, an important lesson. So what we're going to do here is we're going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. It's quite a bit of scripture verses that we could read to him. I'm going to have to paraphrase some of this because, you know, the story of Saul is, is quite long. Several chapters. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. And the woman answered as they played and said, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very mad and angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed but only thousands? And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul became jealous of David from that day forward. So what we have here is a king, and the people of the kingdom are talking about the mighty men of the day, and the little upstart, the youngin, the little boy, really, he's becoming a little older now, David, uh, is getting more, more recognition than the king. It says that, in fact, Saul grew in his anger, became jealous because of David. So today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, King Saul and what we can learn from him, uh, and it's really a story of a kingdom, but also of a boy. We can go to the uh, next slide, please. <clears throat> and I want to begin, really with this understanding of jealousy. Because that's really what's uh, plaguing Saul largely, is the jealousy that he has for David um, and the need of affirmation that that he has. And so uh, jealousy is defined as a feeling of resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success, or advantages. Has anyone ever been jealous? Okay, there's some honest people. If not, then I'm just jealous that you have not been jealous. Has anyone ever, you know, in your interaction, sometimes you can pick up on it. Have you ever felt like, all right, this person, this friend, this family member is is, is a little jealous of something that you may have, something that you may be able to do? Have you ever experienced that one? It's hard. Yeah, it's it's more difficult to deal with because then you almost, you know, there's like, kind of feel guilty. It's like all this weird stuff that's going on. But this is jealousy, okay? Now, jealousy is a very, very powerful, powerful uh, emotion. It's not an emotion that the Lord has given us. It's an emotion really of the fallen nature. Uh, I mean, the only thing that we are to like, have this desire for is really uh, really the Lord. Um, 
if we look at some of the early expressions of sin in the scripture, a lot of it has to deal with the root of jealousy. Uh, first off, right, Satan is going to tempt Adam and Eve, essentially because, you know, this is, as, as we know, the background of Satan, he, he, he's, he's jealous that he himself is not likened unto God, that he does not receive worship, right? He falls, he takes the angels with him, and now out of his jealousy, he wants to bring other people into his misery. I already say misery loves company, right? It's essentially what Satan's doing, right? He wants to pull God's creation. In fact, he is so jealous of man that he's going to try to come after us. That's how jealous the enemy uh, is in the book of Genesis even today. We see that same motif with Adam and Eve. I mean, Satan gets to them, and they kind of become jealous of the knowledge of good and evil that God has. They desire it, right? They want it. And so, in a sense, they become jealous of higher things, right? the jealous, jealousy of the Lord. And then yet another example. It, it, we should see a theme here. I mean, this is like the first two sins of the Bible. It's rooted, in my opinion, in some level of jealousy. Okay? The third one, Cain and Abel. Talk about jealousy. Cain is jealous of his brother. Oh, God must love you more than me. That's not true. But that's what he believes. And he acts out in jealousy. Now, this is powerful. You know, we, we, we lay, or mankind has laid down these foundations of, of, of sins that go on after generation after generation. And I believe, really, I really do believe this, that this is why jealousy is so powerful. It is so powerful for people for a number of reasons. But one I want to touch on right now is just the fact that it's, it's, it's the earliest of sins, essentially. Right? Now, there's other things that are brought into this, those three stories that I told you, but largely it's this foundation of jealousy. And so when you have that from the beginning, man, jealousy is a very powerful thing. It's almost like compounded interest over time. It's just getting larger and larger. This is what makes it so powerful, I believe, uh, that the Lord, uh, when being sent to the cross, right, it says that he opened not his mouth. It's like he is not even going to refute anger that people have towards him. He's not even going to get involved in the realm of any kind of jealousy that the world has of this figure or Satan of this figure. He opens not his mouth. He's like, I'm not even going to engage in these roots of of jealousy. And I think that's what's so, one of the many powerful lessons of the Lord is that he didn't even try to justify himself. He's just like, I'm just going. I'm going to do what the Father has for me. Open not my mouth. I'm not going to try to justify what's going on. I'm not going to try to engage that conversation because my father knows. So, if we can go to the next slide. Uh, before even getting into Saul, I want to, want to lay a groundwork because I think a lot of time we don't quite completely understand what jealousy is really. Um, what we have here are... Uh, Commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, I'm dealing with that on purpose. Uh, not the first five and not the tenth for a reason. Uh, the first one that we're discussing for today, the six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. When we take a look at these, we may say, come on. First, how does it even relate to jealousy? We'll get to that in a second. But second, like, come on. Like, really? Like, murder? I'm not going to ask, but I, I doubt there's anyone here uh, that has murdered someone. Uh, but you're like, hey, 
we, we don't even murder. Like, it's not even something that, like, it's kind of weird, like, talking to a congregation. Like, oh, guys, you know you're not supposed to murder. Like, well, yeah, of course, I know that, right? Uh, but really, what we're getting at here is like, we can spiritualize these lessons uh, quite easily. Uh, fine, you, you may not have taken someone's life, uh, but have you killed someone's self-esteem? Have you killed someone's identity and self-esteem through your words, through your tongue, through your actions? Ah! See, murder doesn't have to be the killing of the physical. It could be killing of the spiritual. When you go over to someone and you speak negativity towards them, when you tear them down, when you tear down their self-image, when you tear down their self-esteem, on a spiritual application, you are committing the sin of Cain on Abel. I get an amen on that? It's a murder. It's a spiritual, psychological murder that takes place. You're stealing and destroying this person's image of who they are, hopefully, potentially, in the Lord, you know, but, but, that, you know, that's what's going on here. Uh, you shall not steal. I want to commit, uh, uh, go over committing adultery for a second. You shall not steal. Have you, you know, maybe you have stolen something when you were a kid or even now. or you, Maybe you have. But likewise, not typically something that churchgoers are really concerned themselves. Like, oh, am I stealing something? Like most people are like, oh, I'm not going to steal something. Uh, but have you stolen someone's happiness and peace? Have you stolen someone's emotion away from them? They're happy. You bring them down. They're optimistic. You bring your negativity. They're hopeful. You bring pessimism. You have just stolen their emotions from them. We'll have those friends that just suck you dry. You interact with them, and emotionally, they just pull like everything out of you. That's, a, that's your steal. Bearing false witness. Well, you know, this is like technically like, you know, not committing perjury and lying in court. When someone comes to you and asks for the truth and you lie, and sometimes we have these little white lies supposedly, but they're still lies, right? But once again, church, like for the most part, people have a decent grabbing of that and, and don't walk in it. But what about this? Have you ever walked out and gossip? You're bearing false witness. The person's not even here to defend themselves, but yet you talk smack about them and say this, that, and the other thing. You are bearing false, false witness upon someone because you really don't know if it's true. You heard it through the grapevine. Man. So what we have here is you shall not murder. Do you take and have you taken someone's self-esteem? Do not steal. Have you stolen someone's happiness or peace? Bearing false witness to the notions of the gospel. Now, we're saying all this because now what we have to do is we have to go back. You shall not commit adultery. Now, if we go to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, hopefully this will make a little sense. So, the classical case is, right, in the older covenant, you were not to obviously commit adultery, as it says here in the Ten Commandments. Uh, And in uh, the uh, New Testament, the Lord says, well, in fact, you know, the, well, Moses has said that you are not to commit adultery. But I say that even if you look at someone with impure thoughts, you've already committed adultery with her or him. Right? So we can spiritualize that. And I, I get that. But I think there's even something even, uh, even maybe deeper and more difficult than that. More, I don't want to say more important, but, but 
pretty, pretty serious stuff. That's why I wanted to save it for last. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 20. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband. Surely as a, a wife commits adultery, essentially. So have you, Israel, have dealt treacherously with me, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel. For we have perverted their way and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return ye backsliding children. I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee for you are the Lord our God. What I'm getting at here is a spiritual adultery of your relationship with the Lord. Do you commit adultery when you see the things of the Lord but then you see the things of the world and you turn away from your, your bridegroom say, I don't want what you want. I don't want you. I want the, what the world has to offer. In a spiritual sense, that's walking in the spirit of adultery. You're setting your eyes against your beloved. The bridegroom loves you. You love him. You're one. You set your eyes on other brides and bridegrooms, things of the world. Getting caught up in those things. I'm not even talking about, oh, there's a good-looking guy or there's a good-looking girl. I'm saying, oh, wow, let me pay my attention on non-heavenly things, on carnal things, not on the kingdom of God, but on the king of the earth. If you're doing that, you're walking out in that spirit that is being declared by the prophet Jeremiah that you've become an adulterous generation. You're turning away from the goodness of the Lord. You're turning away from your beloved. Woo! Yeah, it's a whole book of Hosea, thank you. All right, so obviously uh, we left some out here. And I, w- I want to get to 10 because this, this hopefully will bring, bring it together, the story of Saul. We're going to the next slide. And the last slide uh, is you shall not covet. Essentially, you shall not covet is essentially uh, you are not to be jealous. The Hebrew word covet in the Hebrew is lachmod. It means to desire. It means to have strong pleasure in. Lachmod. Right? To covet is essentially to be jealous of what someone has. Very strong, strong desire. Now, you know, I was looking at this, looking at different scholars, and, you know, they're saying there's a reason why you shall not covet is the last one. Murder, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness is something that you do. Something that you physically do. Like murder, you kill someone. Adultery, there's an act, right? Stealing, you steal something. Bearing false witness, you say something. But covet is not something you do. It's something that you think. Essentially, like the only, best of my recollection, the only of the, the Ten Commandments that is, that is a thought, opposed to something that you do or not do. It's a thought. Don't have these thoughts. Because once you have the thought of coveting, of jealousy, of desire, I am telling you, 9876 can be there. If you don't covet, 5678 will not be there. Or 678 will not be there. And not. Right? If you're going to murder someone's self-esteem, it could be because you're jealous of a situation. And you want to tear them down. It's classical bullying one-on-one. Right? If you're jealous of what people have, you'll walk out in those other ones. If you're jealous of what your neighbors have, you may put a little bit more attention on the things of the world opposed to the things of the kingdom. So, you shall not covet is an essence of jealousy. And what I'm getting at here is essentially what happens is that Saul gets caught up in this notion. James chapter 3 verse 16 says, if you are confused, if you are anxious, 
That is the place where there is essentially strong desire, coveting, and jealousy. Every evil thing is there. Every evil thing is there. Let's, let's turn to it, because I see some people are like, I don't know about that. Let's, 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 we got a little different feel today. James uh, 3, 16, I'm sorry, uh, really starting in 15, 14. But if you have bitter jealousy or envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where jealousy, envying, and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I would submit to you that if you're going through a confusing time, there's a very good chance it's because you're getting wrapped up in jealousy and getting wrapped up in coveting, desiring what other people have. It's a very, very, very powerful thing. And so we get to now Saul, a man who is jealous over David. Now Saul's life started out pretty good. Started out really good. Uh, His name is Shaul. Uh, means to ask for. Right? Why? Because the people were asking for a king. So that word Saul in Hebrew, Shaul, is, is to ask for. Now what happens here is in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10, we start to see the story of Saul. I'm just going to paraphrase some things. If you're interested, I suggest that you go and, and you read it this week. In, in 9.16, it says that, that Saul stood taller than the rest of everyone else. He was shoulders everyone over everyone else. He was big. He was strong. He was regal. He looked like a king. He was good looking, it says. And he's going to be appointed king by God. Sounds good. Sounds really good, but it doesn't end so well. He's called from God. He actually expresses humility in verse 21, chapter prophet Samuel goes to him and says, you're going to be a king. He's like, no, me? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just Saul. I'm from the littlest of tribes, Benjamin. I'm really not that big of a deal. Are you sure you got this right? Chapter 10, verse 6, Saul actually walks and works in prophecy. He's a prophetic king. I mean, this guy's doing some really good stuff, but something goes wrong. There is a problem. There is a problem, obviously, because his story does not end well. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 19, this is the Lord speaking. You have this day, Israel, rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all the adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said unto me, no, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present ourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. What we have here is this is where things start to get wrong in Saul's life. And I believe it's something that will cause us to go wrong as well. Saul starts out well, and he does well. But what's happening here is that the people want a king. So God gives them what they want. He says all throughout the Torah, all throughout the first books of the Bible, that you are not to have a king. I want to be your king. But now the people, right, they do God all studies, they do all serious stuff, wilderness, they go into the land of of giants, they destroy the giants, do all this kind of stuff, and now they want a king, because they look around at everyone else, and everyone else has got a king, so can you just give us a king? God's like, no, I'm your king, that's it. They're like, come on, we want to be like everyone else. This is fine. I'll give you someone like everyone else, and he picks this strong young man that displays the qualities of what because they want to be like all 
the other nations. And this is the problem. What's slowly going to happen is Saul takes on the identity of a king instead of a son. I'm going to say this again. This is the problem. Saul begins to take his identity as a king instead of a son of a heavenly father. This is what happens. When you have the spirit of a king, of an earthly king, you build your own kingdom. When you're a son or a daughter, you build your father's kingdom. When you have a king mentality, an earthly king, carnal, wrong mentality, you want to build up your own kingdom. When you understand your sonship and your daughtership in the Lord, you will want to build your father's kingdom. And see, this is the problem with Saul. He gets himself wrapped up of his, in his identity wrong place. His identity being not, not, not a son of the most high God, but he wraps up his identity as being a king. Because all the people want him to be that king. Go to the next slide. Essentially what we have here is uh, jealousy is just another name for insecurity. People that walk out in jealousy are insecure. They do not have a security in who they are. And now Saul is going to walk this out, unfortunately. What happens here in chapter 15, God tells Saul, you are to go to war, and you are to kill all the Amalekites. Kill them all. Every man, woman, and child. Destroy all of their livestock. Kill it all. Get rid of it all. Saul's like, ah, he goes to the battle. He, He doesn't want to do it. He keeps some of the Amalekites alive. He brings back some of the spoils of war. And some of you are like, well, that's really wrong of, 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 of Saul or God to tell Saul to kill all these people. Well, here's the thing, man, if you guys don't understand, maybe, is that one of the descendants of the Amalekites is Haman. Haman is in the story of Esther. And Haman tries to eradicate all the Jewish people. Saul would have took out all the Amalekites. There would not have been a Haman to try to take out all the Jews. Okay? So, but what happens here is he doesn't do it. He brings back the spoils of war. It says in chapter 15, verse 11, that God is grieved. He's like, Why did I make Saul king? And the prophet asks Saul, what are you doing? Saul says, well, I I didn't kill all of them because, you know, I wanted to bring the king back to to show the people the Amalekites. I didn't destroy all the spoils of war because I want to bring the animals so that we can sacrifice to God. Sounds kind of justifiable. But the question is, why, Saul, why did you bring this back? Did you bring this back because you wanted to sacrifice to God? Or did you bring this back because, oh, yeah, you're a king and you want to look good? Now, think about this. You go off to war at these times. You want to show yourself to be a powerful king. You're going to bring back the riches from the war. You're going to bring back the spoils of war. And the people are going to be like, wow, look at what our king is able to do. But God says, no, you leave that there. I don't want it. And finally, there's a, re- a, re- a rebuke by the prophet Samuel. He says, look, obedience is better than sacrifice. You did not obey the Lord. The kingdom shall be torn. What we have here is the people want a king. They want a strong leader. And what happens here is Saul begins to identify himself with that. He conforms himself to the image of men. 
And then therefore, his identity and self-worth is now conditional on how men view him. Um, I'm going to the next slide. I think someone else may say it a little better. Uh, this is Bill Johnson from a pretty famous church out west of California. He says, if you do not rise from man's compliments, you will not fall by their criticisms. All right, so this is essentially the problem with Saul. He's the king. He wants to be like the other kings. He wants to see favor in the eyes of the people. And he begins to think like, well, I've got to bring back these spoils so that the people think that I'm a good king. Now, what happens here is his identity obviously is off. Next, a boy comes along, David. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, that Saul is tormented by, 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 by an evil spirit. He's becoming so jealous and so enraged by the glory that David is receiving that he is tormented by. He finally goes to war, and this is really bad. 1 Samuel chapter 31, he shot up with some arrows. And his guys get there, and they're like, King Saul, like, we're going to bring you back. He's like, no, if you bring me back, the people will laugh at me. Actually, says that in verse 3. I'm all, their king is all shot with arrows. If I go back, the people are going to laugh at me. And he says, kill me instead. His men are like, I, I can't kill you. You're the king. Saul, Saul takes his own sword. His identity was so off that he couldn't be seen weak before the people. That he'd rather die. have his false image shown for the people. If you build your own kingdom in your life, if you receive your identity in anything but the Father's perfect love, then jealousy will eventually rise. You will compare yourself. It will torment you. And, in a sense, you will spiritually, like Saul, not physically, but spiritually kill the image of the Creator inside. You can come on down the other worship team. What I'm getting here is this. If we are not rooted in our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God, then what we will do is we will live our life trying to prove our self-worth through the eyes of people. And that is when you have now entered world of jealousy and coveting. And that is when you're going to be a gossip person. That is when you're going to be negative. That is when you are going to be a bad egg in your circle of friends. Because you feel that we, like you, you feel like you need to look that certain way. Jealousy will rise, it will torment you, and eventually, as King Saul fell upon his own sword, that jealousy will get to you to such an extent that the whole spiritual man and woman inside of you is just going to start to break. Jesus.
Now, in a church, we can't allow coveting and jealousy to come in. And I don't mean like, oh, they got a nice house, they got this, that thing. I'm talking about even like gifting, what people have. It's a very like, let's get real church kind of moment. I know, I've heard it. I've heard people say, oh, I can't, I can't sing like Mario. Okay, that's cool. That's an objective fact. Okay, you can't sing like Mario. I can't sing like Mario. But you can't become jealous of that. I don't know if anyone has actually moved into the realm of jealousy, strong desire, and disdain because of it. But it happens all the time. I, I mean, I've been, I've been in church for a long time. And what happens here is jealousy brings disunity. When the spirit of jealousy comes into a congregation, people are disunified. When the people are disunified, it says, right, that the enemy will come in and try to seek whom we can devour. He'll divide and devour. We cannot allow jealousy to come into our midst. If you're continually comparing yourself with other people, what happens here is that's really unfortunate because you are, it separates you from God's plan. When you continually say, like, I want to be like this person, look at the gifting that this person has. This person can teach this way. This person can worship this way. This person knows the scripture this way. If you continually do that, you will be focusing on the wrong gifting. In fact, you need to focus on the Father who gives the gift. You may be so busy, like, I may be so busy trying to be a cellist, and by doing that, I'll miss out on my true gifting, doing something else. Now, come on, let's be real. In the church, there are certain giftings that are highlighted. Oh, wow, they play music really well. He's on the stage. Or this guy's got the mic. And then there are giftings that are kind of underlooked and should never be undervalued. Hospitality, care, love, prayer, giving, cleaning up, all that kind of stuff that gets no attention. It gets no attention because the world does not appreciate those things. The world appreciates a motivational speaker. The world appreciates music. So you want to associate the things that looks good in the world, the things that look good in the kingdom are not just those things. They are servants who are willing to serve one another in love and humility. The reason why that doesn't get any attention in the church today because it doesn't get any attention in the world. Like when you hear someone speak well, you hear someone play music well, there's something that you can connect to. Oh wow, Yo-Yo Ma. Oh wow, Coldplay. Oh wow, some motivational speaker. You can connect it to the world. It's servanthood. Loving when you're unloved. Pouring yourself out. It's so undervalued in the church because we cannot connect it to anything in the world. The world is like, that doesn't serve me. I'm moving on. Oh, you, you may be missing out on your gifting that the Lord has for you because you're focusing on the wrong thing. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Shaul, meaning to ask for. King Saul was asked for. What's so beautiful, what's so interesting is the previous hero of faith, Shmuel, Samuel. That Hebrew word, as we learned last week, also means asked for. Saul and Samuel both mean one that is asked for. The difference is Hannah asks of God. Let me have a son that will minister you in the tabernacle so the kingdom of God will come to earth. And then another generation asks for Saul, let us have an earthly king so we can be like the rest of the nation. Oh, right there, who and what are we asking for? 
Are we asking for King Saul's to emerge in our midst and in our lives and in our church? Are we asking for Samuel's that are saying, Lord, here I am, speak to me. I want to see your kingdom manifest. Oh, I want to see the kingdom manifest. Be careful for what you ask for because you get it. Israel asked for a king like the rest of the nations and they got it. Because they were jealous. They were jealous. The kingdom was torn. But Hannah, oh Hannah, gracious one before the Lord, give me a son so I can consecrate him. Give him to you all the days of his life. So he shall minister before you. He would hear your voice. And he would be the one that you would use to bring the word of the Lord back to Israel. It's all good, man. Whether you're Dan or you're not, whether you're married or you're not, whether you're me or not, or Alan or not, or Ramon or not, or whoever or not, man, oh man. Man, oh man. If jealousy arises, you're focusing too much on your own kingdom. There's plenty of pastors, there's plenty of ministers, there's plenty of organizations that do that. They try to build their own net wealth. They try to build their own kingdom. This is a place where we can say, we want the kingdom of God to be made manifest. You may, we, we may be trying to build up our own kingdoms in our, in our, in our own lives. Let my image be known. Let me be looking so important. No, 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 man. Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Baba. If you want peace, it surpasses all understanding. You need to expose where the jealousy is coming from. I argue it's coming from failure of you properly understanding your identity. If my brother has a bigger house, my brother plays a musical instrument better, my brother is more eloquent than I, it doesn't matter when you know you're fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter when you look up at heaven and you say, oh, the pure, spotless love of Jesus was shed for me. That I am unique. That I am special. That I am different than anyone else because I'm the only one with this DNA and cell structure. And I'm made for a purpose with certain giftings and certain things. And it doesn't have to look like someone else's. Because the body is made of many parts. only matters what your gifting is in your own eyes if you're trying to build up your own image and your own kingdom. When you're focused on the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter. You're just like, oh, I get to have a part to play in this. And all parts are working equally together. It's the world that lifts certain ones up. I encourage you once again, read Psalm 139. It just outlines how special you are. How can I be jealous if I am awesome in the Lord's eyes? This this doesn't make sense, but also makes sense. God loves Alan, but I'm God's favorite. 
And Alan could say, well, God loves Dave. And I just, we're all his favorite ones. We can't even understand this concept. We're all the apple of his eye. He all just wants to relish in us and love us and pour out his love upon us. When you start getting that image inside of your head, the image of the world just goes away. Who cares what kind of car I drive? Who cares what kind of house I have? Who cares if I have a microphone or not? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows every hair upon my head. As a head gathers the chicks, the Lord should gather his people. Oh, the nail-pierced hands are there for me. The spewing of blood of the Lamb of God from the beginning of the world was shed for me. For God so loved David that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, he, every spiritual blessing was read has been given to me and to you. See, we just need to disarm the earthly kingdom. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, we as a church, as this place grows, as worship gets even more and more anointed, as people hear what's happening here more and more, I'm telling you, this message will be more than ever before. We must continually think in our minds, continually know in our spirits, this place is not our kingdom. This is not something that we're building so people look at us. We're building this so people get saved, so people fall on their knees and repent. Lives are restored. Crack addicts are done. People get sober. People see the love of the Lord. We want to see the Lord's name be named hallowed on planet Earth. As this place grows, I know now you're like, what? I know, but as this place grows, that temptation is going to come in and you just have to say no. See, the spirit of the Lord has hovered the whole earth to see whom he can show his power in its sense. Nineteen twenty-seven, this church was built, and the prayers year after year was asking, was asking, was asking, was asking for the Lord to show up, asking and asking and asking for revival. And in 2017, 90 years later, it's here there as well, but they were asking and asking and asking for this generation in Bristol to display the kingdom. We've been asked, requested prayer. Now we're here, we just got to say, Lord, who cares if I stutter on the microphone? Who cares if I blow my nose? Who cares if we miss a court? Who cares? We just want to touch the heart of the Father. Why don't we stand? Father, we just declare, we just declare we will not allow jealousy to rise in our midst. We will not covet. We will not tear down or steal another person's emotions if we understand our identity in you. Father, I pray right now that there would be a spirit of revelation, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of revelation of who we are in you. That no one is greater than another, that we are all fearfully and wonderfully, completely cherished by your love. And we all have gifts. 
gifting. And they're all beautiful and holy and awesome before you. So, Father, I pray right now that even those people who are like, I don't know what my gifting is. I don't know what the Lord has called me to. Father, we pray right now that you just see us, Spirit of Revelation. Show them what aspect of themselves is unique that can be used for the kingdom. <laughs> Hallelujah.